Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Signs of the Times. We have an awesome guest with us today. Her name is Cece, and she is currently living in Hawaii, and she is a sun enthusiast. She wrote an article for us in our May issue called Embracing Sunlight. Yeah, we've got her on to talk about kind of all the confusion around it, the benefits, the the negatives or the risks, and how we can, I guess, approach it safely. So, Cece, welcome to the show. Just to get started, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and why this is an interesting topic for you, I guess? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I live, as you said, in Hawaii. I actually grew up, I was raised in Australia and came over here as a missionary. And and then at the end of my missionary term, I got a job at a local organic and natural retailer and then ended up marrying a local Hawaiian guy. So now I'm happily stuck here. And I still work in marketing for that local organic and natural retailer. And as you said, I love sunshine. I, I'm not the kind of person to just promote the sun without education because I do understand that the sun can be dangerous. I'm not just about increasing sun exposure. I, I'm about increasing safe sun exposure. There are just so many wonderful benefits that the sun provides. I mean, the sun was provided by God to actually sustain our existence. And so that's why I love sharing that aspect of it and, and the amazing benefits that come from safe sun exposure. Mm, awesome. Yeah, this is a topic I actually asked you to write about based on some posts you were putting on Instagram. Yeah. For those that don't know, Cece has a Instagram account where she posts all sorts of health things. And I found it really interesting, I guess, what you were talking about in terms of the links between like nutrition and like, I guess your, your body having like a resilience to the sun. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like what is the link with those two? Yeah. You know, it's really about understanding how light and heat interact with our cells and doing our best to get as much benefit from the sun while doing what we can to get the least amount of damage. So basically nutrition plays a big part we actually need certain levels of saturated fat to be able to protect it, be protective against the sun. There are certain vitamins as well. Vitamin E is a really powerful antioxidant. It's a fat-soluble vitamin that also impacts how we interact with the sun. So making sure those levels are good. And then, and then even when we think of vitamin D, vitamin D deficiency is actually a huge deal at the moment in Australia. I was looking up some stats before I jumped on here and I think the latest stats were from 2012 and they said that 23% of Australians are vitamin D deficient and that can be from diet but it actually is mostly from sun, the sunshine or a lack of sunshine basically. So the body is so interconnected and I just love how God designed our bodies so intricately. You know, every, every tiny part of our body, every cell, everything was designed with a purpose, with intention. And God did that in a way that he wants things to work together well. So when we have things like vitamin D deficiency, that actually 
then causes us to be susceptible to many different illnesses. And it's interesting, there's actually a link even between vitamin D deficiency and skin cancer. But the crazy thing is a lot of people will stay out of the sun to avoid skin cancer, but then they become vitamin D deficient, then that basically is like a vicious cycle. So, you know, the the body works in incredible ways and it's really a matter of understanding how we can support the body and, and not to fear the sun, you know, welcome all the wonderful ways it interacts with our body and just take steps to not burn or overexpose, especially in somewhere like Australia. Also here in Hawaii, it's so sunny in the summer, basically understanding how we eat, how that can impact our interaction with the sun, and also understanding as well, even what sunscreens and self-tanners can do to, do to the body as well, which can, they're not, I don't recommend them at all, chemical sunscreens and, and self-tanners. Wow. My head is spinning right now with so many questions, Cece. <laughs> I probably just opened a can of worms. You, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, for starters, when most people think about Australia, they think about our beaches, they think about the outback, they think about, you know, everything that is good about Zanita's world all the way up there in Queensland. To me, the idea that there are so many Australians that are sun deficient, vitamin D deficient, just kind of doesn't make sense. But as well, I know, you know, we all know for those of us who actually live in Australia, it's, it's not sunny all the time everywhere, but I was certainly, <laughs> sorry? And we all still have jobs. We're we all still just... have jobs. I mean, I'm sitting in an exactly. office right now. Yeah. Right. I've got fluorescent lighting. You know, I'm only, I can see the outside. I'm very lucky where I live. I'm very close to nature, but still like most of the time, most of us, yeah, we're, we're stuck inside for our jobs. I was w wondering about about that. I grew up in the slip, slop, and slap era. You know, yes. there's nothing healthy about a tan. Yes. Those messages were very much drilled into me, and I think that's definitely carried over into what I do today when I go outside, when I go to the beach, all that sort of stuff. And I know you just mentioned just then about chemical sunscreens, which I'm very interested about as well. Some of those messages that we get taught growing up, is there some wisdom there? Are they misleading? What, what, what's your take on that, the cultural zeitgeist, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bag out the whoever created Slip, Slop and Slap. I think that they probably thought they were very clever. It's very catchy. I still remember it also. And I also grew up in that era. I think it was, it was being promoted all throughout my childhood. Uh, but I think it's important to understand that there are actually two types of sunscreens. So there's chemical, which is a soluble sunscreen, and that actually absorbs into the bloodstream to absorb UV rays. So research has shown those kinds of sunscreens disrupt hormones, and they have active ingredients like octicryline, octinoxate, homosalate, oxybenzone, I'm geeking out over here. But the difference between that and, and a mineral sunscreen is a mineral sunscreen is insoluble. So it sits on top of the skin to deflect UV rays. So the active ingredients are things like zinc oxide, titanium oxide, much safer. But sunscreen in general 
is not necessary all the time. And the reason I say that is because if you go back to how vitamin D is produced in the body, what happens is UV rays from the sun will hit the skin and there's a type of cholesterol that sits just under the skin that gets converted to vitamin D when the UV rays hit the skin. So if you are wearing any type of sunscreen, whether it's a chemical or a mineral, if it's blocking the UV rays, you don't get that vitamin D production synthesis process. So it's actually not good to wear sunscreen all the time. However, how are you going to have safe sun exposure and not wear sunscreen? Well, that's that's why I think I, I talked about building sun tolerance in the article. And it's really important actually to build that sun tolerance and to allow your body to develop its own protective mechanism against the sun that's not going to prevent you from from blocking that vitamin D synthesis process, basically. I don't know if I answered all your questions. You might have to remind me. Some no, that's, questions. that's, that's like, great. That's great. I guess on that point, can you go into a bit more about building a sun tolerance and what that looks like? Like if you're, for example, a mix of Irish and Polish descent, should you go out into the sun in like Jamaica for three hours? Like are there guidelines around the sun tolerance that we can kind of follow to be safe? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. So, so basically, you know, obviously we don't believe the sun is, well, I don't believe the sun is inherently dangerous, but we still want to, we still want to make sure that we put things in place that will protect us from the, the dangers of, I hate saying the dangers of the sun because, you know, that kind of mentality has been pushed into us for so long. It's like the sun is dangerous. The sun is dangerous. So I don't like to feed into it, but of course we all know that the sun can be very dangerous. So one of the best ways to start building sun tolerance is actually start by getting morning light. So morning light offers blue and red light frequencies, but without UV light. And what happens is when you expose your skin and your eyes to morning sunlight, it preconditions your skin to handle UV during the day. So morning light is basically rich in red, infrared light, and red light reduces what's... So your skin has this response called the erythema response, which is like the earliest sign of pinkening of the skin. So when you... When, when you're in red light, which is what happens in the morning around sunrise time, that actually will reduce that response. So, so that will help basically prep your, your skin for the rest of the day. That's why I encourage every single person to get outside in the morning, like everyone. It doesn't matter if you're old, young, baby, everybody, everyone should get out in the sun. That's actually a natural way that's going to to help prep. And, you know, obviously not everyone has pigmented skin. I mean, my skin is obviously a little bit darker. I have more of the pigment melanin, but as you, as you expose your, your skin to the sun more, you can actually also produce melanin. So it's really about getting out in the morning and then I use what's called the D-Minder app. 
you can, I don't know if you have it in Australia. You might need to look it up on the app store, but we have it in the Northern Hemisphere and it's called the D-Minder app. You could probably just Google, Google search and, and look for, you know, like UV indexes. And it actually tells me when the UV index is the highest. So, so you can start by going out when the UV index is low and going out maybe like 10, 15, 20 minutes in the beginning and then gradually building up to longer and longer exposure. I used to burn within half an hour. I now, and, and that would be like even in the morning, not even in the hottest part of the day at solar noon, which is usually around noon, 1 p.m. But now I can stay out in the sun in the middle of the day for literally hours and I won't burn because I have intentionally built up sun, sun tolerance. So, you know, it really is possible. You do have to really be intentional about it. But I think in in a country like Australia, where people want to enjoy the outdoors and where there are so many opportunities to enjoy the outdoors, uh, you know, it's really worth it to work on your sun tolerance and and not to limit yourself from from being outside, basically. What would you advise people as the seasons change? Because, you know, when we're recording this in early April, mid-April, and this is not coming right. out till May, you know, and by that time, the temperature has dropped. The days are getting shorter here in Oz and, and in New Zealand and, and all the places that most people are going to listen to this. So as the seasons change, what would you tell people to? Because I know that for me, my impulse is to stay inside more in the colder months because, you know, it's, the weather's not as good. And then I, I think about going outside maybe in September when it starts to warm up and the sun's out more. What would you say as far as that's concerned? Yeah, you know, I have actually heard of light boxes that people use in European countries where the days are really, really short in winter. Basically, they get very little UV light. I've never tried them, nor have I really looked into them, obviously, because I grew up in Australia and then here in Hawaii, our, our, our sunshine is, is pretty good. But in terms of winter, when you expose yourself to enough sunshine during the summer months like spring summer or even autumn leading into winter your body actually will produce enough vitamin d and will will store the vitamin d and it will it will basically take you through winter so a lot of people ask whether you need to supplement vitamin d just because it's winter and honestly i don't like vitamin D supplements a lot. I know that a lot of people take them. I personally, from from the research that I've done, I've seen that vitamin D that's produced by your body naturally from the sun is much more effective, even in in cases of skin cancer and cases of cancer, than than with supplementation. The other thing is, you won't ever make too much vitamin D if it's coming from the sun, but you can overdose on but like you can you can have too much vitamin d when you're supplementing and that can often lead to hypercalcemia which is too much calcium which which is not good for you either so i always recommend the sun before a supplement because honestly if you are exposing yourself enough in those warmer months you it, it should be it should be enough and, and I want to mention as well, one of the reasons that it, it might do more harm than good to supplement is that 
vitamin D is actually not a vitamin. It's, it's not like, you know, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C. It's not a vitamin. It's actually a hormone. And we've, we've existed on earth for thousands of years and God created us to produce this hormone naturally by being in the sun. So to supplement this hormone, like how the, this hormone works, how it's metabolized in, in the body, it's, it's not necessarily good for us to be supplementing it. And, and just to elaborate a little more on that, basically when we have low levels of storage vitamin D, which is when your vitamin D is stored, that is usually an indicator that there's some kind of chronic inflammation in the body. And often, very often, it's from a lack of magnesium. So when you're magnesium deficient, your body will actually lower your storage vitamin D levels because there's not enough magnesium to convert the storage vitamin D into active vitamin D. So every process of vitamin D conversion needs magnesium. So what happens when you supplement vitamin D is that depletes you more of magnesium, which is the the exact thing that created the low vitamin D in the first place. So it's it's another vicious cycle. So low vitamin D is more indicating inflammation that's caused by magnesium deficiency. So before you go out and supplement vitamin D, you might want to think about supplementing magnesium and or just getting out in the sun because getting out in the sun will like solve that problem anyway. It's interesting how we've we've been taught to just pop a pill, but even even a, a vitamin, a vitamin pill isn't necessarily always the answer. Yeah, it's interesting. I have this man who lives down the road from me and he grew up in California, like lived in the sun his whole life. He has like he's you know, he's from he's from America and he has like dark brown skin, but he supplements vitamin D even though he spends all day in the sun because apparently as you get like thicker skin, then it's harder to absorb the sun. But are you saying that's because of like an inflammation thing or a magnesium thing? Like is that it could yeah, it could very likely be because his body is inflamed, which is probably because of a magnesium deficiency. Obviously, you know, I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to give medical advice, but it would be interesting to see if he were to supplement with magnesium or even just to focus on getting more magnesium-rich foods into his diet, whether that would have an impact on his vitamin D levels. Because I have friends here in Hawaii who, one of them in particular, she actually has been to the doctor multiple times like year after year her vitamin d levels are always low and she's supplementing and just you know could not get her vitamin d levels to to rise significantly like they went up a little bit but the doctor was like oh you just need to keep supplementing maybe you need to take some more like we need to increase your dosage and then i just suggested to her i was like look like i'm not, I'm not a doctor but i explained you know what i just explained to you guys and i was like you maybe you could try increasing your magnesium intake, maybe supplementing. I don't even like rec recommending a magnesium supplement as any kind of band-aid solution, but it might help. And I said, get out in the sun as well. She got out in the sun, she supplemented magnesium, and all of a sudden her vitamin D levels were, were normal and actually they have been increasing. 
So, you know, it, it really is. And I'm not saying that this is, like I said, this is not medical advice. I'm just trying to educate, but it's something to look into and discuss with your healthcare provider for sure. And, you know, see if it's something that, that you could try because honestly, magnesium is not bad for you. So, so it's, it's not really going to hurt you to, to have more magnesium. Yeah, I guess while we're on this like thread of supplementing, we do have listeners all around the world. And so I guess I'm wondering for those countries where they only have four light, four hours of sunlight sort of thing, what are the implications of like, will they still get enough sun to last them through the winter, I suppose, but also like, what are the implications of sunlight and our mood? Because we know that those countries who don't get as much sun have higher rates of like depression and suicides and all of that. Right, right. Absolutely. And you know, um, like I said, I have heard of light boxes that people use in those countries that apparently provide, you know, they provide synthetic UV light basically. And it's, it's not ideal, but, but it, it, it could be an option if there's literally no way for them to get the vitamin D. But if they are being intentional, maybe if they really, really try to get the vitamin D in the, during the, the seasons where they do have enough light and and be intentional about getting more than what they usually do they might find that that will help them during the the winter seasons as well whatever the case whether they need to do more in the in the warmer months or whether they need to use a light box i think it's really important to try those options before supplementing vitamin d because like i think supplementing vitamin d it, it's not it's not just about the fact that you don't need it, but it it actually depletes you of really important nutrients that you need for thyroid, adrenal, cell, cellular health. Minerals are necessary in our body and supplementing vitamin D really like skews the balance of minerals. When you supplement too much, you that's, that's what we call, we, we often get what we call hypercalcemia. Basically you create calcification by increasing calcium in the tissues and that causes more mineral imbalances toxicity disease so you might be like not everyone is definitely going to get those issues but if you have thyroid or adrenal issues i definitely don't recommend supplementing vitamin d ever because of the impact it can have on your thyroid and it's like i said it's a hormone so you want your body to naturally produce that hormone. You want to do everything you can for your body to naturally produce it instead of supplementing it. That makes sense. Yeah, that resonates. I had no idea that vitamin D was a hormone. So you're just blowing my mind in all kinds of ways, Cece. I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying because before I lived here in Sydney, I used to live in Palmerston North in New Zealand. And it's the second... New Zealand is a beautiful place, but Palmerston North is the second least sunny place in the entire country the first yeah. being mount cook in the south island which is just it's a mountain so yeah lots of clouds but what would happen is um all of the clouds from the manawatu plain would all kind of get stuck at the mountain range that intersects the plain and that's where Palmerston north is and so all this cloud would just continually get stuck and so it was gray most of the year round and I really noticed it because the first house that I lived in in the city was this dingy old 1920s sort of villa and 
It had really small windows and the the entire thing was not north facing and it was really dingy and dark and kind of a little bit depressing. And then we really noticed it because we moved to, we bought a house and we moved to this new house that had this massive sliding door window that was sort of northwest facing. And in the afternoons, the sun would just stream through and my wife who actually has vitiligo, so it doesn't actually have any p- pigmentation. Her, her her skin cells are like dead, kind of, basically. Right. She would sit in front of that window and it would just like charge her up. Like it would like recharge right. her like she was plugging into a, a wall socket or something like that. And just the difference between living in that dingy house in a place that gets hardly any sun versus suddenly being able to be exposed in our house to sunlight was like night and day almost it was crazy yeah Yeah. Uh, no i i love that i love that you had that experience and you can kind of see how healing the sun is uh you know it was really it was it was until the 1950s like the the sun wasn't really seen as dangerous in fact uv light was the most prescribed and most effective treatment for so many illnesses until around the 1950s and and basically before that sunlight was considered like like a state of the art treatment basically so the fact that your your wife experienced that kind of healing it really makes sense given the history of of healing from the sun you know ancient civilizations they they used light in a medical way i don't know if you guys have heard of heliopolis it was one of the most ancient egyptian cities and it was famous for healing temples where sunlight was broken up into um, spectral components like different colors and each color was used for a specific medical condition and of course you know i'm sure there are some you know, pagan sun worshiping type deals happening in these temples as well. But the premise is that the sun is healing. And I do believe that God provided the sun as a healing tool. You know, it's it's one of the health laws that that we know of that is really effective. There was in the 1700s, there was a there was a German physician, naturopath guy. I think his name was Hufland. I might have misquoted his name. He talked about how, you know, when humans become really, really pale, like more pale than what they're used to, what they're accustomed to, you know they're not they're not healthy, right? But when you stick them, like you said, when you stick them in front of the sun and it's like they gain this this energy, right? When you when you when you put someone out of light and they become pale to that point you know that there's something that's not quite right happening there and and that's how god designed us to be like he he designed our skin to be a light detecting organ so our skin cells have molecules that were designed by god to feel the light and you know our human body needs fuel in the form of food it needs oxygen and it needs a spark which is actually in the form of sunlight to ignite the process of metabolism. Vitamins can't solve 
problems that are caused by a lack of the 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 right wavelengths of light that are needed to create complete metabolism a lot of metabolic illness a lot of illness in general i'm like get out in the sun see if see how it'll help i mean it used to be used to treat septicemia pneumonia tuberculosis arthritis like asthma so many things it, it's just because when antibiotics were developed, I think it was around the 50s, they stopped using the sun and they used to call it heliotherapy from that from that city, Heliopolis. And, and, and using the sun really, really was reduced. And, and it's, it's almost like, it's like this cure that God provided that we've forgotten about. I mean, UV light is the most biologically active part of sunlight and that makes it totally so crucial for human health. You know, we, we really can't. God literally designed us not to be able to live without it. Yeah, I heard when people were in lockdown during COVID, they would they would only get a short period of time in their hotels when the sun would come into their room because they only had a small window and so they would just drag their chair into that spot and they felt so much better because they couldn't get outside, they couldn't get fresh air and the sunlight was just like, a dose of goodness for them and I think the sun like the sun is one of the most important like things when it comes to sustaining life on earth and so I think over time like you're saying it's kind of been like villainized over the decades and this is probably a question that we like should have started with maybe we can <laughs> copy and paste the beginning but like can you tell us some of like the basic benefits of sunlight yeah oh my goodness where do I start so one of the major ones, obviously, is vitamin D. And, you know, vitamin D is so crucial for for everything. But then also, like you said, mood as well. Like we can't live without the sun because when, we, when we're in a dungeon, we don't feel good. And it's not just because we're isolated as people. It's also because we're not able to get the sun that we need as medicine. So, you know... I think something that that we forget as well is the sun is also really, really important for, what do you call it, for our circadian rhythms. So when you, if you want to sleep well, one of the best things that you can do is actually have more sun exposure. Because what happens is the sun will, when the sun enters your your eyes, and I'm not talking about looking into the sun that's not good for your eyes but when you're outside you're naturally exposed to sunlight and you don't have to necessarily be standing in it even but just being outside being around natural light when that hits your eyes it especially in the morning this is another reason why I tell everybody get out in the sun in the morning it doesn't have to be in the sun but just when it's when the sun has risen get out there. There's another app that I use called Circadian and Circadian tells you like when it's first light, when it's sunrise, you know, and I use that to to dictate when I start going for my walk. I always walk every morning, first thing in the morning, first thing when, when it's light out basically. And the reason I do that is because when you're outside, the natural light, when it enters your eye, it is carried, the signals are carried by the optic nerve to your your brain and in the morning what that light does 
is it activates your body to produce cortisol. So that actually wakes you up. It's We don't want too much cortisol, the stress hormone, but it is really important for us to have that release in the morning so that we can be alert, so that we don't need coffee in the morning. It's actually the best, like an amazing alternative to, natural alternative to caffeine. Just go outside in the morning and your body will naturally know, I need to start producing cortisol because we have to start, we have to go about our day now. So so going out in the morning first thing is really helpful for that. And then the other thing is the converse is true if you want to fall asleep at night, not having blue light in your eyes, watching the sunset instead of being inside on a screen at nighttime is going to be much better for you. And during the day even, the more exposure you have outside to the sun, the better it is for your circadian rhythm, which is basically your sleep-wake cycle. So it's incredible for your sleep. And then that alone is, sleep alone is restorative for so many different reasons. So not only is the sun restorative, the sun contributes to your sleep, which is also restorative. So it's, I just could say so many things about the sun. <laughs> That's like, like, I could go on forever. It's, it's honestly, it's amazing. Like if you, if there was a pill that could lower blood sugar, improve your skin, decrease your blood pressure, lower your cholesterol, boost your good sex hormones, improve your mood, that, that would make almost every medicine obsolete. That's why the sun is demonized because it's so powerful, it does all of those things. One of the other things that you mention in the article that I'm interested in is the way that the, your diet relates to your intake of sun. Can you talk, tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I love to tell people basically to eat their SPF, right? So I, just to give you an idea. So there was a study they did where there were two groups of rabbits. They were fed diets and one of them one of the the diet that one of the groups had corn oil and the other one had coconut oil and corn oil is an industrial seed oil it's highly processed and and basically after the the rabbits so after they were exposed to sunlight the rabbits that were fed corn oil they had wrinkled aged like horrible skin but the rabbits that were fed coconut oil, they had no damage from the sun exposure. So basically excess of those really, really unhealthy vegetable oils, we're talking canola, corn, sunflower oil. These are all oils that like we're not supposed to be consuming them in high amounts, but they're in every processed food, basically safflower as well. And not only are they in every processed food, but a lot of the time, you know, for those who adopt a vegan or a vegetarian diet, we often think that that is more healthy. And I personally, I personally do believe it is, which is, you know, I'm a hundred percent plant-based, but a lot of people who adopt a vegan or vegetarian diet immediately start to eat a lot of the processed vegan foods or even like mock, mock meats, mock, you know, all of these foods that contain really, really high amounts of industrial seed oils. So that that excess industrial seed oil consumption is connected to skin aging. 
It doesn't mean you can never have it. You know, unsaturated fats are are much healthier for you in terms of heart disease and things, but it also doesn't mean that you can't ever have saturated fats because saturated fats can also be protective against the sun. It's really about finding a balance and not having too much in excess. So, so, so that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to a diet, eating processed foods is actually causing you to to basically increase the amount of sun damage that you get. And I know this for a fact, it's, it's that kind of excess unsaturated stuff that creates this thing called lipofusin. So lipofusin is when you get like, you know, the, the, I don't know if you've seen them. I, I saw my dad used to have one. He had this like dark spot on his face. It was pretty large and he didn't do any research on, on the sun necessarily. Every, like all, every doctor told him it was sun damage, every single doctor. And he actually started reducing his oil intake in general, just to like, just to be healthier. So he ditched oils and he didn't avoid the sun. He was still going out in the sun, but he didn't avoid the sun at all. And that, that dark spot, which is called lipofusin or lipofusin, it disip- it literally disappeared. It was gone. And the only thing he changed was he ditched oils. And the most oils he was consuming were like vegetable oils, like really, really low quality vegetable oils. So it is definitely possible to protect against sun damage by changing your diet or, you know, being careful about your diet. Because the sun itself, is not the offender. It's a poor diet, high in these industrial unsaturated oils that basically lead to sunburn, skin damage, and sometimes even cancer. And and then of course, if you have a diet that's low in nutrient-rich foods, that's always going to have a negative effect on your body, your skin, your health. So the best thing to do is to eat a whole food diet that's rich in vitamins, minerals, that can offer protection from so many health problems. And that includes building your own skin protection. Because when when we, we eat whole foods, we get the whole range of micronutrients, macronutrients, enzymes, essential fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids, minerals, everything that you need to create healthy skin and your own SPF. And that's why I say eat your SPF because uh, you, you literally can. Don't yeah. crack open the uh, sunscreen and start eating yeah. it. Don't do that. Right, right, right. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely don't do that. <laughs> let's not let's not manipulate this. Let's not do the editing in a way that makes me say, eat your yes, sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. That would be on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Eat your SPF. Maybe you should create a new slip slop slap jungle around that. Yes. Yes. Eat your SPF instead of <laughs> And honestly, like I said, like I'm not against sunscreen. I'm I, I just I think it's important. Like if if you're someone who is gonna burn, I would rather you put on sunscreen, a mineral based sunscreen with zinc oxide, than than not have any sunscreen and burn. Because sunburn, whatever way you look at it, 
sunburn is skin damage. It's not good for you. So I am all about avoiding sunburn, but I do think there are ways that you can, you can avoid sunburn that are better than, better than chemical sunscreens or even, you know, excess mineral sunscreens. And I also should mention as well, just, you know, something else that can also help with vitamin D deficiency in terms of your diet is, is eating magnesium rich foods, eating foods that are rich in vitamins A, D, like plant-based vitamin D foods, E, K, copper, things like that as well. And instead of supplementing vitamin D basically. Mm. So I guess on that note of uh, eating SPF and certain foods, what are some of those specific foods? Like, you know, when we talk about RSAT or we talk about carrots, (laughs) for example, like, can you give us some specific foods that might be good for our skin or our building that sun tolerance? Oh my goodness. There are so many. So algae, like seafoods are really, really great. Coconut oil is also good. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Honestly, I wouldn't say that there's any like one food or any like specific foods that you should eat because even the foods that I just mentioned, like algae and, and coconut oil, I still would not recommend eating like excess amounts of them, like just a little bit here and there. It's more about having a balanced diet, but I would definitely recommend no processed foods or very little processed foods and choosing whole foods instead so basically shop around the perimeter of of the grocery of the supermarket right shop around the 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 outside where you're getting like your produce and and your your legumes and your grains instead of the middle aisles which are all candy lollies chocolates chips things like that you know so avoid processed food pretty much if you avoid processed foods everything else Everything else is great. And and I personally am vegan. I tend to go for, I mean, I always go for plant-based options over, over, you know, animal products. But as long as you're choosing whole foods that are high in nutrients, that's going to serve you well. I just was curious about, you mentioned about checking your skin regularly to, you know, make sure that there aren't moles coming through or that you're not getting skin damage. You've already talked about skin damage a little bit but okay if we're going to embrace this we're going to take in sunlight we're going to try and do all the things that you mentioned we're going to really jump in how would you recommend people monitor take care of this is there anything else that you would recommend that people do to make sure that you know your skin isn't you know i don't know burning up or obviously we're doing all the things but what would you say as far as skin care yeah, you know, I would say just to really, really be aware when you're out in the sun, really look at yourself, look, have a mirror with you, you know, kind of see if your face is feeling hot, if your skin is feeling hot, if it's getting pink, if it's getting pink, definitely get out of the sun. You know, these are these are things that that are the precursor to you burning, basically, and you want to catch it before it becomes sunburn other thing is wearing a hat i wear a hat i don't wear sunscreen but i i wear a hat and i used to wear sunscreen if i was i learned to surf here in hawaii my husband taught me to surf and you would be out in the water for hours and you know this was a few years ago 
And I wasn't as intentional about building my sun tolerance at the time. And so I would burn if I stayed out there for a few hours. So I was wearing sunscreen for the times when I was there for a few hours. But since then, as I've built my sun tolerance, I now, I don't burn anymore. So, so yeah, so I, I think it, it, building your sun tolerance is totally worth it if you're a buffer for sure. And just in general, I, I would say that is the most effective way to protect yourself by actually building a tolerance. But in that process, being really, really aware of if you are getting a little bit burnt or, you know, timing yourself as well. How long can I stay out without burning? Okay, maybe today I'll try 10 minutes. Tomorrow I'm going to try 15. The next day I'm going to try 20. And and always err on the side of caution. If you know you burn in half an hour, then don't stay out for half an hour. Stay out for less until you can start to build your sun tolerance more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there's not like... Uh one fits all kind of method it's kind of gonna you've got a trial kind of what your skin will be able to tolerate and um that will be that will be different for each person depending on probably like a number of factors i'm guessing like i'm guessing your nationality would affect it i'm guessing even your age or like are there other things that might affect that yeah so nationality for sure i mean the amount of pigment in your skin is is like the major major factor Pigment and diet, those are the two major, major things. If you ditch the the un- the processed foods, ditch the processed foods, and you're, you're not going to get as much sun damage because when your tissues are laden with those those unsaturated oils, that's that's what's doing the damage to you. It's not the sun by itself. It, the sun basically needs those things in your tissues in order to to cause that damage. So diet, pigmentation, those are the, I would say, the two main things. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I, I feel like this is like never spoken about how much your diet affects your skin in this way. It's kind of yeah. like a whole new thing. For me. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. It's even, um, I have heard... I haven't looked into it as much, but I have heard vitamin C can be protective as well against the sun. I haven't looked into the research, but if anybody is wanting to look into it, go for it. If anyone's a geek like me, I love to to read the studies and and you know go through the literature and and try to find out what's happening in the scientific world. But but yeah, I think as well. I think we also need to just be aware that I feel like in Australia and here in Hawaii, there is this obsession with being bronze. I don't know what it is, but like, it's like, I I personally think it's like an unhealthy obsession. And the reason I say that is not just because of the damage the sun can do, even for self-tanning. So I know so many people who use self-tanner and I don't think people realize the active ingredient in self-tanner is is DHA. I think it's dihydroxyacetone. What it does is it creates a chemical reaction called the Maillard reaction, which is actually how it tans the skin. So if you're thinking like burnt toast, caramelizing sugar, that's that smell. Yeah. It increases free radicals. And it makes your skin even more susceptible to sun damage right after you use it. So if you're using self-tanner, 
you are basically like making yourself more susceptible to to sun damage you know when i was back when i was like still brainwashed very confused about the sun i used to love using self tanner I, I I think I tried every single brand out there. I was looking for specifically the bronze kind. I tried all of these different kinds. And you, you can tell because there's like a whole period of my life where I had like orange skin in all my photos. But I used it so much. Like I really wanted to have that bronze glow. And honestly, I'm at the point in my life where I realized that it's just you know, I'm not against anybody using it. Like if you want to make it, if you want to make yourself have that bronze glow, totally fine. If it's at the risk of health, I think maybe reconsider because it's really not worth it. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it really doesn't work very well. And, and that active ingredient, DHA, a lot of the time it's promoted and, and and I was already starting to lean towards natural things and I buy it because it's promoted as natural because it's, it's a simple carb. It, you get it from like sugar beets, cane sugar, but it's often made synthetically. And that reaction that's happening is literally your skin chemically caramelizing. And if you think about what's, what that's doing to your skin it's so so bad it's degrading collagen elastin creating free radicals free radicals are unstable reactive molecules that can totally mess with the structure of cells and it increases sun damage so you're blowing my mind right now because i had <laughs> never i never realized that that's what self-tanner does and I, I've, I've actually, this is the one thing where I can say I'm not just complete clueless because I have heard of the Maillard reaction, but right. I, I apologize for the, the plant-based people in the room, but that's what makes a steak taste so good is yes. when you put a piece of protein onto a pan with some fat and you sear the skin, right. that is, that is what that's makes what, yeah. steak, chicken, you know, whatever taste so good is that Maillard reaction with the the sugars and the fat and the heat kind of all mixed together and create that sear and right. I'm just like I'm doing that to my to skin, skin. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you know how to actually pronounce it this here's me reading it and thinking it's like what I've yeah. always thought it's like Maillard it's Maillard you said it's, it helps. Way... I'm married to somebody who speaks French fluently, so it's oh, a French okay. thing. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It, I mean, most people are using the self-tanner to avoid sun damage, but it makes your it makes your skin super unstable, and it actually increases your sun damage because you have so many more free radicals versus without having that DHA. And plus, so I was looking at some research a while ago that actually showed that the melanoid pigments, that they absorb light, they've been shown to reduce vitamin D production. So to make vitamin D, our lower layers of skin need to be exposed to UV rays. So basically 
DHA has been linked to so many different things that are like not good. DNA damage. There's no, there's actually no safety data, like looking at safety for long-term use. So it's really not, don't do this self, Tanner. Like, honestly, it's not it, worth it. If, if, you, so if you think about, you. if you think about doing self, Tanner, just imagine you're putting yourself in a frying pan. Just yeah. imagine that. That's literally <laughs> what's happening. And that's not even, that's just on your skin, but it affects your hormones as well. Cause your, your liver, uh, like, so our body absorbs almost everything we put on our skin right into the bloodstream. It goes straight to the liver to be metabolized, broken down, used, or, you know, excreted from the body. And the liver has, has so many jobs already. It, it balances your blood sugar, it detoxes estrogen and chemicals. It's converting inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone. Like you don't need to overload your liver further by putting this stuff onto it. Basically it's like, just keep the chemicals, no chemicals, no self data. This podcast has been awesome, Cece. I think like some of the things that I'm taking away is that sunlight is is awesome. It helps us sleep better. It strengthens our immunity. It lowers our chances of a number of diseases and it helps with like mood and overall, I guess, happiness and as well our hormones, which is something we haven't gone into heaps, but maybe we can touch on that another episode. But I guess just to finish up, is there anything else you would like to speak about? I mean, I would just kind of recap by saying, you know, like I'm not advocating for allowing your skin to burn because sunburns are damaging. They cause stress to the body. And, and everyone is at risk for burns when you have long periods of like uninterrupted sun exposure. But I think we, we can clearly see there are certain things you can do to reduce your risk of burns besides just sitting in the shade or putting on, on, you know, a rash guard that covers you completely. There are multiple things. So just, I just really want to encourage everyone to look into those options. I, I really just believe that our bodies were designed by God to thrive in the presence of sunlight, unfiltered sunlight, you know, like Zanita, Zanita said, direct sunlight improves so many things. Circadian rhythm, it regulates our hormones, provides our body with vitamin D. And if you look at plants and animals, they recognize the importance of sunlight. They literally seek it out because they know it's life-giving. Sunlight fights disease. It And we didn't really talk as much about it, but it does reduce depression. And you can see that as I think Zanita mentioned it briefly, but the areas of the world that have little to no sunlight usually have higher rates of depression, anxiety, suicide. So it's just, it's so good for us. I just don't want anybody to miss out on on it because of maybe a fear or or a misunderstanding or misconception about about what the sun can do. Mm, awesome. I think that's a important disclaimer, so not to cancel UCC from the internet. <laughs> yes, please. There cancel. are many benefits, but we also do need to take caution and still be wise about that. Right. But yeah, thank you so much, Cece, for joining us today. For anyone listening, just a reminder to eat your SPF. <laughs> and yeah, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really, really great to chat to you about the sun. 
This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. This is an Adventist Media podcast.